All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. Doing it big, me. Uh, we got Alex in studio with us today. Hey, Glorious. how are you doing? How's everybody doing? Everybody's doing great out there. That's good. That's good. That's good. It's always good to be back in the saddle with Alex again. You yeah. know what I mean? Kind of a little flashback of the first time we started doing this. We do it at the Hot Nest Studios. Yeah, do it. The show started at the Hot Nest Studios where we would be shoulder to shoulder like this. Um, those episodes can be found on Patreon now, actually. Ain't that beautiful? Okay. Very nice. Um, we have a great guest with us this evening. You know what I mean? You know, we've had, uh, as, as, all, as the people listening to the show know, that we like to have authors on the show because the authors are the true storytellers. You know what I mean? We have filmmakers and all type musicians, and they make it, and they, you know, they, they give you their, they kind of give you their, uh, their, final, their final cut of art. But I feel like books, the final cut's within your head. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about uh, the written word is the fact that it's different for every person who reads it. I mean, the people that I I envision as Edgar is going to be different than someone else's. And uh, that's one of the reasons why it's always funny when you have a book made into a movie because a lot of times you'll see the movie version and it doesn't gel with how you see it. And I think that's why a lot of times, especially if it's a book, that people are, are very invested in, very rarely uh, does it really, you know, capture what people themselves bring to, because it's all about the imagination. I can't, I can't argue with that. So let's bring our guest in so we can comment on it too. Yeah. Uh, hailing from Canada, do it a big, the great Brad Oates. Welcome to the Boombastic Cast. Hello all, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. Thanks for being here. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll do a real quick little how Brad and us came about. You know, I picked up Brad's book, Edgar's Worth Sunday. You know what I mean? Um, now on Amazon. Catch it up. And uh, I love myself. I like to keep an eye out for, like, upcoming writers because they are the future. And uh, dark comedy is my deal. That's definitely my bag. So whenever I see that, I like to get into it. I've seen some other stuff that Brad wrote before even diving into his books. Um, he was uh, he was kind of giving comments on the state of something, if I remember correctly. And um, the way he put words together, I was like, ah, I was digging it heavily. And I said, I got to go pick up one of these dudes' books. And I did, and I enjoyed it. Uh, great book. Everybody out there, get it. We'll t- talk a little bit about the book in a little bit. Um, but you know, on the Boom Master Cast, we usually like to start out kind of like where it all began, you know what I mean, and take that journey. So, Brad, when did uh, when did you kind of catch the bug? When did you kind of realize that you wanted to? Well, for even, I guess, before even realizing wanted to do something like that, do you remember how long ago it was when you realized that was something that you loved? Yeah, you know, um, writing has been something I've loved ever since childhood. And I remember, like, even in, in school, like L.A. classes and whatnot, um, the writing, the creativity part was always something that really stood out to me. Um, I don't know really when. It would have been much later that I really decided to take it serious and, uh, you know, try to publish a book. But I went through all kinds of phases with creativity. You know, at one point I wanted to be a rapper or a songwriter, a musician, stuff like that. But, 
I, I always say that I have a face for radio and a voice for the written words. So that, that, that's what I ended up going with, and it works out well for me, I think. I give you gigantic kudos for saying the rap thing because people don't often like to give that up, that fun fact away. They wait for TMZ to dig it up later on down the road. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm confident enough that I have all the physical CDs completely buried that it's not going to leak, that yeah. I can tease the fact that that exists without ever worrying that it'll come to light. They're all yeah, buried. I, I, <laughs> They're I all did buried. that, you know, I was 14 or so, and I used my sister's Fisher-Price recorder like to yeah. record I had a Casio keyboard and I'd use the pre-recorded beats and rap over that, so to speak. And then I went to it and handed it out in West Edmonton Mall trying to get a fan base. And I, I did the whole journey that way. It didn't, it wasn't very successful, which might be surprising to you, but <laughs> I, I, I did that. Well, I think it's part of our generation. You know what I mean? I think we were like, when we were in high school, I've like, it was like the, the Eminem, you know, I don't yeah, both have mixed out. opinions on Eminem for other reasons, but like Eminem coming in and blowing, I think that made everybody kind of wanted to get into rap in a way. It kind of really made it cool for everybody, so to speak. You know what I mean? But I did want to draw a line between the, the rap, you know, rap, you know, when you, when you're putting lyrics together, you know, rapping and being storyteller, it's the same deal, you know, with an author, you know what I mean? It's, it's, if you get a good rapper, like their lyrics can be super poetic and with very few words, they can be just as good as any, you know, poet that's world famous for their poetry. You know what I mean? Um, just being a wordsmith type deal. So like, yeah, it's good that you did bring that up though. I appreciate that because it really is kind of like almost foundationary to kind of like what, what, what it became, you know, everything kind of evolves. And like you started playing with words at that point, you were always a fan of, you know, books and stuff like that. When you, when you were rapping, did you, were you more of a story? Like, did you try and tell stories with it? We won't, don't trust me. We're not going to stick on rap too long. But <laughs> no, no, no. Were okay. you more okay. a storyteller or? Yeah. You know, I, I came up through that like Eminem and I type uh, approach to rap. So yeah, it was definitely more stories. And like you made the comparison there between uh, rap and poetry. And I think that's, think there's a very thin line there um and what it is it's to me it's minimalist in a way you know i can take a page if i'm writing a book and i can go on for pages and pages and pages about the same thing but with rap or with poetry it's all about you know how few words can you use how how succinctly can you express this and sometimes that process of uh chipping away and deciding what's extraneous can be really important to a creator i think um i always encourage people you know i've taught a couple of writing courses and ran a couple of groups and the key thing i always harp on is learn to love the red ink um you know if you submit something and you get it back and it's all covered with you know this didn't work this word shouldn't have been here a lot of people get up in arms about that or quit or worse yet they go and they fall back on that oh well you don't understand what i was going for and that just does nothing at all it's such a silly thing in my mind to say that because you're trying to express it to an audience, you know? Yeah. If, if you just want to do what you're going for, then write it, put it on your shelf and call it a day. But if you want to resonate with an audience, then find out what works and what doesn't and take that red ink and make it better. And when I see people reacting that way to the red ink and the criticism, that's when I know like they're going to grow their craft. They're going to become better and hone it. And that's always so encouraging. Yeah. We had a, uh, we had a, like a country rapper on the show once, Insane Shane McCain, friend of the show. And he said, he considered, he goes, rap stands for rhythmic, 
American poetry. And I said, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, man. Because it is, you know, whether music in general, you know, it's, they say the thing about music, it's like, uh, it's like magic because you can't really touch it or like, uh, or see it, but you can feel it. You know what I mean? Like you can do wonders for your soul type deal, just like words can, you know. You can hear it and feel it, but it can't be seen. That's right. I know some people like that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so when did, uh, so when the rapping kind of, we transitioned from the rapping into, what did it go from rapping into, to writing or was you started with short stories or how did the transition happen there? It went from rapping to some ghostly ambitions of uh, like rock music. Um, That was mostly sitting around with a guitar in the room and drinking. There wasn't a whole lot of um, real music going on there. Those are the good old college years. That's okay. That's usually how most of those songs. That's how all the big hits are made. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Drinking and being alone in the room. (laughs) Yeah. So that, that that was my rock star period. Uh, I did put a few songs to paper, but um, I mean, what what is a is it a song or a poem when there's no music for it? That, that's exactly. um, I've shared some of those on my blog since then, and I think there some of some of them are okay poems. Some of them are trash, but there's a couple that were okay. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't until I was more settled, you know, I was through the university era and had my career going that I really began to look at uh, writing in a more serious way. And then I got the idea to write a novel without any idea of how to write a novel. And I think a lot of authors go down that path. I think, you know, if you talk to most published authors, they've got that one uh, book in their closet or, the, the, you know, the back of their room or the shelf of their dresser that's just buried and covered with dust. And they don't like to talk about a whole lot, except sometimes to other authors. Yeah. So I have that one, you know, everything and nothing and 500 pages of just going on and on and on with no real structure or form. And it wasn't until I finished that one and realized that it was not the vision I had and it didn't really work out that I really began to look and say, like, you know, writing's a craft and I want to try to perfect it. And that's yeah. when I decided to take it serious and get better, I think, is realizing that I had failed at that one. Well, it's not really failure. Like you, what you were saying when you were jumping around, I think a lot of artists do that. Some people, you know, and I never – it's a weird deal. You might go, oh, they're trying to do whatever, but I think, you know, say they're just trying to be famous or whatever. I'd hear people say stuff like that, no matter how they can do, but I think it's a lot with just the creative artist's soul and not actually knowing where you fi- where your footing is within creating the art. So you bounce around the different things until you find the one that fits you the best. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's really accurate. Um, it- it's a desire to express something and not being sure what your tools or your instruments are. Um, you try everything. Do you have any authors that you hold up in high regards as like huge influences or? Yeah. I mean, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is always the one I throw out there the first and not necessarily an influence. I certainly don't write fantasy and I'm not trying to capture what he did. I think he's done it and it's there and it's very nearly perfect. It's one of my favorite things out there, but um, he certainly inspired my love of reading and the written word. You know, some of my earliest memories are sitting with my parents on the couch to say, read those novels to me and just being absolutely engrossed and taken away to another place. Um, That feeling has lasted with me all my life. And if I can do even a fraction of that in my books, then I'm certainly happy. Um, As far as stylistically, um, maybe a bit of Hemingway, certainly a lot of uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, He was actually one I was telling a story recently that, you know, when I started reading, I was down in New Orleans and I was doing a lot of reading of Hunter S. Thompson and, 
he really took over my voice. I actually had to write a short story just to get that out of me because yeah. he has such a strong voice that I found it creeping into my own pen. And I thought that's dangerous. I don't want to be somebody else as I'm writing. So I did a short story that was very intentionally him and kind of got that out of me, did the exorcism and then went on. But yeah, he, yeah. he's a big influence. Um, Curac, like a lot of the Mary Pranksters, that kind of era. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter, the, the Hunter S. Thompson's like, I think we've talked about before, like, like, so I, I appreciate it. appreciate him, but you know, the books are, you know, it's give and take sometimes, but like the, it's almost like the the legend of Hunter S. Thompson, you know, like the, the, what he, what he was and what he represented was like the thing, you know what I mean? Uh, more so than the writing sometimes, which there was some great writing in there, um, for sure, absolutely. But he was like that real rock, like he was the first kind of rock star writer that I remember that was different than like everybody else seemed real clean cut and like you know like they were all they were the school teachers pretty much vibe, you know what I mean? But here's this you know openly doing drugs and partying like an animal just like crazy dude and then later i stumble into bukowski which i think is way far superior than hunter s thompson no offense to hunter s thompson but you know i I assume you pull some influence or at least appreciate his work i I felt i I felt a lot like a lot not copying or anything but a lot of like kind of the same vibe with the drinking and the comedic dark tones of edgar's were sunday you know i felt like some bukowski in there for sure you know what i mean yeah, Bukowski for sure is a, a an influence as well. A big fan of his. Um, he's got a real simplistic style, which I enjoy. Um, sim- similar to Hemingway, you know, he, he can tell exactly what happened and make it engrossing without having to go off on all these tangents. Um, and that's really cool. That's probably something I could work more on. I do tend to go off on my tangents, and yeah. uh, I have a bit of a flowery prose sometimes, which works for me, and I enjoy that. Good. But some some pl- time simplicity adds to a uh, tale. Yeah, like I remember when I like when I stumbled into Charles. I read Post Office, uh, and when I stumbled into Charles Bukowski, it almost like open like opened me up to like a new whole deal where like it made me like excited about reading again. You know what I mean? And you know, you just like devour books and like you just go keep going chapter chapter. Like you get into a book that you're not digging or whatever. Sometimes it's a chore to get through it. You know what I mean? But I remember just being like more, 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 and you, you get out of the pages and into the guy's real life, and it's, like, even crazier than the books, you know what I mean? He's, like, legendary. Like, Bukowski, there's a few documentaries on him that are really good, and he's just, like, a wild character, man. I, I'd have to put him up there with probably the... He's got to be, like, the Gigi Allen of authors, you know what I mean? Like, he's got to be. Right. I like I like that comparison, yeah. You know, he definitely he one of the ones nominated for that role, no doubt. Yeah. So you were, were you did you were you teaching courses and and stuff like that before Edgar or? No. Um. As I began to take it seriously, is when I really like I, I was finishing up that first one and realizing it wasn't working and deciding to really try to learn how to write rather than just assuming that it's putting words on a page. And so I joined some local uh, writers groups. And eventually began running that group. And that's what I would have, you know, like at that point where I'm two, three years in and work like getting something published. So then like new people are coming in and I'm trying to teach them the craft and hone their skills and stuff like that. So I spent probably five or six years um, in that group at the least um, and just saw, saw lots of people come through. Some people give up, some people publish, you know, and still, you know, I'll, I'll go back to that group or I'll do brief appearances. I think I, 
did a, a classroom thing at one point about writing. So anytime anybody's interested in learning more, whether it's about the business or the actual act of writing, I'm happy to share my, my wisdom, if you call it that. Yeah. And you support, right? You, like the whole, for anybody out there that's listening that it, wants to be an author or something, you su- support the workshops, you think it's a good environment, anything they should look out for, like when they're searching around for the right one or? Yeah, um, don't pay too much for anything. Um, there's so many free resources. And, you know, if you've got a good circle of friends who support you, that's very good input as well. You know, you don't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for some independent editor to assess your work, you know? Um, sometimes it's worth it for sure, but you don't want to be, you know, hooked into something that's not worth it. And there's a lot of things out there, especially in, you know, the independent publishing where it's like, you know, vanity presses and stuff like that. Um, independent publishing is a great way to go and it's very worthwhile, but there's certainly a lot of houses out there that are just looking to take your money and leave you without much. So pay, pay as little as you can, really. You know, a lot of it can be done for that's much like any art form, realistically. Yeah. Like, even in the filmmaking world, like, there's so many vultures. Like, we had Hollywood, we were in Massachusetts, and we had Hollywood come here maybe, like, 10 years ago. And I remember, like, before Hollywood came in, you'd be making a movie, people would get excited and be like, oh, I'd love to be a part of it, whatever you need. And then after Hollywood came to town, people were like, I need $120 just to kind of stand there and do nothing. As like some background acting type stuff it just got wild yeah. but that was the thing too like you would have people that would do they would do a little bit of background acting which nothing against background actors it's it's i've done it myself it's fun it's cool but the thing that's tricky is like they'll do a couple of them and then they'll start up a workshop and it's like realistically you should be you should have a little more under your belt than like just that yeah. you know what i mean uh so we see a lot of exploitation of people people's dreams you know much like over there too it's very sad you know that 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 they're there but i guess there's vultures everywhere yeah there's always somebody waiting to put a price tag on common sense you know yeah uh, tell you something that's anybody else could tell you but they think it's 500 dollars worth um yeah don't don't get taken advantage of you know you, you can write you can share it with the world i mean we've got a fucking internet on this planet so exactly. you can get your stuff out there it's not hard yeah so, yeah, you know, how, how'd Edgar come about? Edgar's Worst Sunday. How'd that, that development for that type come into? A lot of time at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after I finished my first book that I wrote, the one that didn't go anywhere was called Man Wakes Up. And that was meant to be like a very like esoteric, experiential, philosophical kind of thing that just went on forever. So it did get released. I thought it got shelved. No, it, it got it got shelved. It, it wasn't released. It was finished, oh, okay. and I printed it out, and I've got a copy for myself. But yeah, it, it didn't go anywhere else. Maybe about five people have read it, um, and that's all. That's all that ever will. I get a script. <laughs> like, I get a script like that. <laughs> I yeah, all, I think most creatives yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you've never given up on a project, you probably put out some really bad stuff. Is my assumption. I forget. I forget what screenwriter said it. It could have been Tarantino or somebody else. But I remember they said, "If you're going to be writing scripts, sit down." write your first script and then take, take it out and delete it and just forget that you ever did it. Cause it get you work out the bugs of the excitement and cause you're trying to fit everything into your first thing and do all this and that. So just do something and then just discard it to get it out of your, you know, 
Yeah, well, I, I wasn't aware of that quote, but I've given exactly that advice to writers and I've pissed some people off pretty badly because, sure. you know, they'll come to me and they'll say like, I've just finished my first book. I'm not sure how it is. What should I do? And I just like, put it away and write your next one. Like, keep, keep going. Do it, it iterations. It's like, learn from it. You're not going to create the perfect thing right off the bat. And I know there's people who have, there's exceptions to every rule, but if you're not going to put the work in and just keep practicing your craft, you're not going to grow on it. You can't treat this thing as a gem, you know? Yeah. Teaching, your darlings. teaching, well, the darlings thing. Yeah. Like teaching can be super tough. And like when you're dealing with our, our teach, you know what I mean? And everybody thinks that they're the next, you know, Faulkner or whatever. It's like, have you, you have any crazy stories of you telling somebody it may, might not be as good as they thought it was and them going like haywire or they just quit. They just quit. They're, they, they silently bow out. It's, it's more that they just yeah. never come back or they just don't move on from the thing. You know, we'll have the same discussion every month. You know, I'll tell them what's not working and why it's not working. And I'll say, well, you don't get what I'm going for or it, it's this way for a reason. And you'll find out later. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to keep reading. You know, I'm not going to find out later if it's not catching me. So then those, oh, okay. And they'll come back a month later and say, like, see, I think it's better now because like I, I, I repeated this thing that I did the other time. So now it's more obvious. It's like, no, it's still not working. You didn't take any advice. And those people will just cycle and spin their wheels for years and years and years on the same thing and not really advance their craft. And I'm sure that filmmaking can be similar in that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Can it be that way? Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely that way. It's always that way. That's how it goes. I mean, uh, it's it's one of those things when you're dealing with uh, the creative uh template whether you're writing a, a script a story making a movie or whatever that you know it's a skill like any other a lot of people like to think that well i mean it's fun but there's work behind it and a lot of people think well it's just fun and that they don't have to work hard to make it better i mean there's a reason why you know, i did say being generous a thousand people who are trying to do the same thing you are that only maybe 1% are the ones that, you know, people still talk about. And the fact is that a lot of, uh, one of the reasons is what uh, most of the 1,000 people, after they hit the brick wall, they don't go back to the well. It's freezing here. I don't know if you're hearing me right now. Hmm? I can hear you, yeah. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so it, okay. it's 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 like that. Always going to you have to keep on going at it and see where things go. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that you have the same job as Billy Crystal and Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> How's that? Because that's what he did. He was like a teacher for writing. Writing. When he okay. Met, he met. Oh, that's where he met Owen, the Danny DeVito character, because he was an aspiring writer. He went into his class, and they became friends. That should be, that should be, uh, you should put that on the book. (laughs) So Edgar's Worst Sunday. Um, When I first started reading that, he was a film guy. He did composing. I was like, what, this is a crazy deal. This is like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? And um, I know you had the music. Is is there a lot of like life imitating art in there? Art imitating life with the crossover? A little bit. Yeah. Um, Like I wanted him to be a creative type and I didn't want him to be a writer because already the book was too much. Like, I knew that people were going to be like, is this just you? And it's not at all. I mean, there's always a little bit of you, but you don't want people thinking that it's just a biography with a different name, you know? Um, So when I finished Man Wakes Up and I put that aside, I started, 
like I, I wanted to write something succinct. I wanted to write a shorter piece and I wanted it to be an A to B story type thing. And I came up with the idea of Edgar. Like I listened to a lot of music, as you know, like about uh, like kind of alternative spirituality and what does it mean? Like what is human morality and what do we see after we die and stuff like this? And I've always had this idea that I played with that I used to call um, like the proof of the afterlife or something like that. I'd, I'd toy with and it would just be like, you know, I, I, I'll do it very briefly here, but it was just I'd do five questions with people. And the picture I'd end up drawing was like the idea that like, you know, um, when you're having a bad time, time goes slower. And dying is one of the worst things we can do as an animal. Mm. Um, and your life flashes before your eyes when you die. You know, you hear that and we can feel good or bad about our actions. So if you're dying and that's the worst thing, if you understand like graphing it all, it forms an asymptote, which means that in the moment of death, the experience of time is infinite. Mm. So if you're just looking back at your life, your life is flashing before your eyes in an infinite moment, that's heaven or hell right there. You don't need any of the rest. Just looking back forever at how you lived. So I kind of took that idea that I was, it was just a drinking game that I would do with people really in university. And I decided to play with that idea of like, I'm going to write an afterlife story about a guy trapped in the afterlife, but it's not devils and pitchforks. You know, it's not um, the divine comedy or anything like that. It's just him being himself and trapped in that cycle of coping with his own choices. Yeah. So that was the idea of Edgar. I sat down at a bar and I wrote the first chapter uh, by hand. Actually, all of that book is written by hand. Uh, maybe maybe all but two chapters or so. Hmm. Um, and mostly all in bars. It suited the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, I, I finished it. It went through pretty fast. And then, like, found myself in the same position. I'm done. And it's not really good yet. Yeah. So that's when I learned to edit and turn a bunch of writing into a book. And I think Edgar turned out really well. I'm proud of Edgar. And then... Went into the publishing after that and learned that the, the whole business aspect of it is what you learn after you actually learn to write. And that was very fresh to me as well. When you put on those editor's shoes for the first time, was there anything that really struck out to you that you never thought would be an issue or like, uh, you know, you thought would be a lot easier? You know, like you said, you, you, you put it all down and that's what you almost feel like that's the, the hard part, but it's almost like going in and cleaning it up as far as even and making it work. You know, when you have to make cuts and stuff and then, pasting it together and all that deal, but make it look nice. I got to be. Yeah. Perspective and voice was the thing I struggled with the most in that one. Um, I wanted to like, it wasn't quite third person, but I was trying to keep it attached very closely to Edgar's thoughts, but it was really like the narrator is adding things as well. So sometimes I'd slip into this kind of omniscient voice and sometimes I'd be too much in Edgar's head where it's clearly like third person and balancing those and creating the right voice for it was a lot of work. I had to revise and rewrite a lot after I got done. So that was a real learning experience. As far as the actual editing process, um, and what I've told people since then is like anytime, and this might be true of film as well, you can let me know, but I found that pretty much anytime I'm stuck and something's not working, it's because I haven't deleted something that needs to go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got some line or some paragraph or some idea in the chapter that I'm really married to. And I, it really, you know, amuses me and I think it's great, but it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. And as soon as I realize that and be like, okay, I just have to delete this. I can put it in a notes section and maybe I'll use it somewhere else, but it doesn't belong here. As soon as I get over that roadblock and cut it, then everything begins to come together again. But until I'm ready to do that, I'm stuck and spinning my wheels. And I think like, a lot of writers I've worked with have found that that's the case. Yeah. 
just uh, yeah, to let, to let go of things that don't work. That that can be hard. It can be. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because you, you, these things become real. You know what I mean? It's like anything else you let go of in life type vibe. Now, it's, I, I'm very like I don't know much about the, we do like we got the films, but like the distribution and the finding a, a distributor for books. You know, I assume it to be just as difficult as any other one, but it's like, do you do you do you shoot out at the ones you want to land at, or do you just kind of do a full blast? Like, how, how, or do you have somebody that looks into it for you? How's that whole situation go down? Um, all of the above. It, yeah. It's a huge industry, and there's a lot of um, different roads you can take to get to the top, or even the middle, or wherever the hell I'm at. Um, yeah. I can only speak from my own experience. Um, and really, it's called querying. I don't know if that's a term in film, but querying is like basically you write your back cover blurb. Like, what is the book about? What is the hook? And then you begin to try and sell that to publishing houses and or agents. I ended up going with uh, straight to publishing houses. Um, I've never worked with an agent. I might at some point. I don't know what they would or wouldn't add at this point. So that's something I'd have I'd have to learn about. They mainly take, I think. Yeah, they, they don't could add, be. They take the agents. Kind of take, I think. Yeah. But they can sometimes maybe get you like better deals. I don't know. I, no, I like they can get you written up in good magazines and all that to get you on Oprah, you know, stuff like that. All that beautiful stuff. Shit, I need an agent, Dan. I got to be on Oprah. <laughs> Is Oprah still a thing? I, I heard know. Oprah retired once Boombasticast at the airwaves. She <laughs> said there was no need for her anymore. <laughs> yeah, she's like it's done. Her and Stedman walked off into the sunset. It's okay, <laughs> but we still love them. Yeah, I, I'm very curious of that. You know, it's, it's thievery. Is thievery, you know, do you, do you like, in your circles, and, and not saying anybody there is that way, but, like, you, we're always hearing about people lifting ideas or, you know, and you talked about giving out, the, like, the the synopsis of the film, the, the, the book, and it's like, oh, I'd be so scared, man, just, like, popping that stuff up because anybody could kind of, especially finish book like do you so does it stake it do you ever just blindly send out the full book to no. people or do they have to they, they pick and they say okay we'd like to read it and then it comes yeah in type deal. Okay. if you send a full book to somebody it's not going to be read it's going to be ignored you know they just, it's an imposition right. here read you know take eight hours of your time or whatever you know nobody's going to look at that you you need a hook you need a really short thing that's going to make them want more I, so I mean, they, if I was Stephen King, I could send out a full book. Right, right, right. If they don't know my name, they're not going to be reading it. So you, you want something that catches their eye and makes them request more. And that would be like, a, then you they, you get the manuscript request. Okay. So they, they, they like it, they get the manuscript, they read it. Do they? So you guys do contracts before you send it, like, like so they don't steal it before it goes over? What's well, all copyright? You copyright everything before it goes out, I assume, right? Um, you know, I'm I'm not the best with the legal aspects, but my yeah, understanding yeah, yeah. is like if you've written something, you have the copyright. You don't you don't need to apply for a special copyright or a trademark or anything. Word. Um, if I send my book out and they published it without my name, I could very easily like go into my computer and show like two years worth of work on it, you, you know, yeah. timestamp and say this is mine, and it it would very quickly be solved. I think. Well, I'm good. To, I'm happy to hear that. I always, whenever I talk with artists, I always get weary because people, there's so many vultures out there, man, that just like, they like, they, there's people that make business of just going around stealing other people's work and use, passing it off as their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fortunately, I haven't encountered or even heard of much of that in the writing world. It's, I think it would be pretty easy to prove I wrote this. You know, I've got 
eight different previous versions of it. They're all timestamped on a computer. You know, I email it to myself every once in a while. Yeah, the trail's there. Anybody saying it's theirs wouldn't wouldn't have much of an argument. Truth. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. I always get weary. I always get weary of people. Yeah. There, it's like a weird deal. You know, then they pick you up. They they, they go to the deal. You know, are you very hands on with the picking of artwork, or is that something they do? That is mostly them. Yeah. I I am hands on, and I give a lot of uh, input and suggestions. In yeah. fact, Edgar, I had a cover done before I ever sold the book, and it was okay. a cover I quite liked. A friend of mine did it up, and it looked really good. So I sent that to them, and they were very clear. You know, we use our own in-house art, but we will look at this image and take inspiration from it and work with you. And I was very happy with the cover of Edgar as well. I have no complaints about it. So yeah, it's like the best of both worlds. They've got a good in-house team there, and it turned out good. I was able to give my input and say what didn't didn't work. So I was appreciative of that. Yeah, it's so tricky when you turn it over like that. I know we've worked on some films. Two of them come to mind immediately. One of them they like wasn't a horror was like a comedy and they like a, like a horror distributor bought it so they gave it like a horror title and re-released it as a horror movie and then we had another film that was more of a thriller that they picked up and they released as a horror and both movies you know performed we'll say performed rather uh lacklusterly because the people that wanted horror watched a thriller and they weren't digging on that thriller, you know what I mean? So it got a lot of bad reviews, and the like what they the people want. And the, the one that the, the the other one was scary, where like they were trying to make it look like a sequel to like an other horror movie, yeah. which was so. And it wasn't even that; it was such a because the, the distributors are wild. Where they just they just want the, the the movie bought, you know what I mean? It's like once it's bought, we don't care. You know, they could hate it, they could shred it, go find the director and kill him. We don't care. Isn't that and, pretty much exactly what happened with Troll Two? Pretty much, yeah. It happens with a lot of movies. It's crazy. Really? Huh. Very crazy. It's, uh, then you got weird movies like American History X, which is actually like kind of a masterpiece, but the director hates it. D- didn't want his really? name put on Yeah, didn't want his name put on it, which is, wow. cr- yeah, I guess it differed from his, he didn't get final cut and it differed from his script or something. But that, I guess, because when you're making a movie so like on the line of all that tension, you know, that the racial tension and all that stuff. It's like you want it to be word for word if you're telling the story. And I guess if somebody was to change up a few things, even though the audience doesn't react to it, like you're still like, ah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ed- editing like with an editor is an interesting process. I-, I think I've been very fortunate. I've always gotten along well with my editors and for the most part agreed with the things I suggest. But yeah, I can see that being a really difficult thing to balance if they did have you know, fun, fundamental changes or didn't get the essence of what you're trying to do. And I sound hypocritical because now I'm doing the, oh, you don't get anything. No, you're right. But, you're, um, you're definitely right, though. Yeah, it's uh, like Weinstein, like Harvey Weinstein forever before he was. It's funny. We had a director on the show once. I won't say his name. I don't want to cancel him out. But he went and he said that the worst raping that Harvey Weinstein ever did was on people's movies, not the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh because he was known to just take people's film and be like like Guillermo del Toro's first movie Mimic that was first Hollywood film you know it's a good film but he hates it because Harvey just like fucking hacked it up but he was notorious for just take like taking your movie switching up the ending switching around whatever he thought was right and then it would fail and then he'd blame the filmmakers yeah, yeah. oh yeah that, that's rough 
I, I would really struggle with that, I think. I hear he's a very unlikable guy from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> in he general, was, he was dying in prison. Heard, I heard pretty bad things, yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, the notebook of the pen is kind of the way to do it. So I, I just wanted to get off of something, something totally new, really. I, I wanted to just write without um, ha- having to write and feeling like I'm following up and tying up these threads. I was just too inundated with that project at the time and just wanted something completely fresh, a blank page. So I brought that out with me. And uh, while I was in London, I ironically started writing about Edmonton, which is where I'm from, my hometown. Um, so Meaningless is actually set in Edmonton, my hometown. And I pounded the first chapter out there and then took it home and uh, turned it into a novel and came together fairly quickly. I am. March 28th, that hits the streets. Yeah. From Sand Press. He's dropping that. That's right. Yeah. I've got my advanced copy right here. Oh. Oh. I like it. I like that out where it's got a a metropolis. Yeah. It turned out really well. Yeah. Yeah. I really like how it turned out. The tower was a central feature of my original cover design. So they, they, they did me good there. Um, it's a really nice product. I like how it turned out. Yeah, March 28th, it should be in bookstores everywhere. Um, you're not going to see like, you know, a window display. You might have to ask for them to bring it in, but any local bookstore should have it. Amazon should have it. Wherever you buy books, you should be able to find it March 28th. And if you're in the Edmonton area, come on out to a Burns on April 2nd for uh, my book launch. You can get a signed copy from me directly. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. Do you do, do you do signs off, do you do signed copies off the website? Um, not. Not off of any uh, active websites right now. Uh, if somebody did want one in the international, they could probably just hit up my blog, uh, Brad O'Hink. That's Brad, O-H-I-N-C dot com. Uh, reach out to me and I could probably arrange to send one out. Word up. Hell yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah, everybody should support Brad. Definitely. Everybody should support me. <laughs> it's true. It's a very true fact. I'm we got to support all artists because uh, artists make uh, the the world we live in worth living. Because without art, we live in a very drab and pitiful existence. That's the fine, man. I agree. Yeah. You ever get into Mark? Was it Mark Wallace? What's the dude's the the Infinite Jest? Are you familiar with that book? Uh, I'm not offhand. Infinite Jest. It was his book. I, I, I've heard the title, but I can't say it. yeah, the author is uh, yeah, David Foster Wallace. That's his name. He was kind of like a Hunter S. Thompson type free spirited dude, I believe, too. I've never read any of his books. I do have infinite jest because I remember like when I stumbled upon him and I stumbled upon him because he did like this. He did a um, a lecture at a, at a graduation. I think it was called This is Water. And uh, it was all there was a moment in it where he was talking about like, you know, be easy on people. He's like, because, you know, you're at the he went through like. You're at the grocery store. You're dealing with these scream, this, this, you know, added this lady who's an attitude, and then you're dealing with this and that, and then he kind of came back with, it and he's like, you don't know that this lady has an attitude because she's been with like her sick husband all night, or you don't know that this person's stressed out because they're dealing with this, and it was like a really cool, like make you think, eye opening thing. So I, and it's funny. I went to uh, as soon as I get my head, I was like, oh, I should check out that book. I went to Savers, which is like a secondhand store down by us. And I've right. seen it and I grabbed it, but I haven't read it. The thing's fucking like 5,000 pages. The thing's like huge, huge. Yeah, I think it's considered a quite difficult read. 
I think it, I think that he I think he might be I haven't dove in yet. I flipped through the pages and I was like, God damn. And he looks like he's a very wordy he's a very wordy I know that he had a sad ending on Free Cat. I think he hung himself up. Um he was dealing with depression, obviously, but I remember like he was he was in a weird deal where I think it was something like uh he was on medication, came off of the medication, and then he felt like he couldn't perform anymore you know what i mean like i know you know i think king even had that for a little bit too where like he was because he was drinking so much and doing like coca kind a lot (laughs) that like when you it it messes with it's like the addiction messes with your head where it's like you can't do you can't do it without that stuff and i think that hit him hard you know what i mean and i think his father was a writer or something like that like he had some weird like there was a lot of pressure on him for some reason like he had yeah, he was carrying. I think he was supposed to be like the next big deal, and then it, the pressure got to him or whatever. But I um, always wonder about that dude because I've never opened up that book. I think he wrote three books total, I think, in like, and then, he, and then he laughed. Very sad, though. Very sad. Smart dude. Sad stuff, Bing. So, yeah. but positive stuff, meaningless. In the streets, March 28th. You know, yeah, yeah. Check out your Braddo Inc. If you want to try and get maybe an autographed copy of it, if you can't make the actual release party for it, and uh, Amazon, Amazon's the spot for everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, Amazon. Any of the versions of Amazon will certainly have it in um, digital copy or uh, physical paper copy, um, and maybe an audio book coming. I'm not sure on that yet. How's digital? Is digital people still you know? What weighs out the other one to like generally, you don't even have to compare your, with your books, but like it's just being in it is, is digital books de- killing off the physical ones because it's so much easier. Or is that, is that a real threat or is it pretty, the reader wants to read, you know what I mean? Um, I, I'm good with either, you know, um, however yeah. somebody enjoys it. Like I, I've already said, like I'm, I'm a physical person. I like the books themselves. So I hope it never completely goes away. But I don't think it's going that way. In fact, I think the trend last year was that uh, paper paper's back on the rise. Uh, di- digital certainly dominated it for a while, but but just like vinyls, the number one thing all of a sudden all over again. I think there's always a place for physical books. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they look cool. They're good, like conversation pieces. You know, yeah, like what's better in a house than a bookshelf? Yeah. You know what else you gonna put? It? What are you? What else you gonna put on a bookshelf? Crying out loud. <laughs> the entire when you find industry is really different yeah. on it. Yeah, I think I have to change the name. <laughs> well, Brad, this was fantastic. We thank you for coming on. We'll have you on yeah. again. You know what I mean? Absolutely, uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime, anytime. Everybody go out there and check out the books. Uh, Brad is also part of the Wicked Juggalo Pod Trash podcast on the network, the Boombastic Media Network. So uh, a proud member of the family. We're happy to have him. Very talented gentleman over there. And uh, if you like this episode, go check out more episodes of the Boombasticast. Wherever you listen to Boombasticast episodes, uh, we're a proud member of the Boombastic Media Network. You know, you know, support, support, support. We do have the Patreon page at Boombastic Streaming on Patreon.com. Check it out if you want to support a little deeper. But you will always get all audio episodes for free. It's beautiful. But for, fuck us. Forget about Boombastic Cast. Go buy multiple meaningless books. Don't even worry about our <laughs> Patreon. Just go get 
go buy like 50 books. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you need several for sure. One's not enough. Yeah, so yeah, Meaningless is the title. Brad Oates, O-A-T-E-S is the name if you're looking it up by author. And uh, yeah, once again, my blog is Brad Oink. That's Brad dot com. If you have, if you, if you're not buying a book for each page, so you can look at a book for each page, then you're doing it all wrong. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you don't care what I mean? Definitely agree. And then they're always good to have multiple books. You can do a lot of things with a box of books. You know, you can weigh things down. When things get tough, you can fill the window with it. When the A-bomb goes off, <laughs> it'll, it'll stop some of the explosion from blowing through your window. You know what I mean? I think the takeaway here is that you shouldn't be supporting authors. You should be supporting uh, the bookshelf industry. So I agree. <laughs> buy a shelf worth, fill it on up. There's people working hard on these things. Wood isn't cheap. Think about that poor wood straining with all those books on its back in the bookstores. Right. You know what I mean? Crying out. If the shelves aren't bent, you're doing it wrong. Just hoping. Just hoping. So with that being said, thank you all for listening. Brad, thanks again for being on the show. We'll have you back. And check out Brad's books. Get the previous and get the new and get ready for a third one. That's right. It's not a little, pleasure, little bird in my ear told me that might be it. We got a big anthology coming. Big 10 book set. No, I'm just joking. Right. <laughs> pile that on you. Brad Oates. <laughs> yeah. Hi, right, Brad. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. And we'll talk to everybody out there in the future on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. <laughs>